So friends, Luke chapter 10, and we're picking up uh, the series as we've come now to verse 4. Let's hear uh, God's word. Jesus is speaking. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Roses are red, violets are blue. And this year, according to the National Retail Foundation, you are expected to spend $23.9 billion on Valentine's Day. In the same set of research, it is described how many people on Valentine's Day buy their gifts right at the last moment for that day. We know who we are. So much is this predictable that some stores have catered their merchandising strategy around these what we might call Valentine's Day procrastinators. And in fact, one year, some jewelers in Houston held what they called panic parties. They stayed open late into the evening for the hurrying last-minute shopper. Hurry. There's something about a deadline, whether it's Valentine's Day or a project that needs to be completed by a particular target date that gets rid of lethargy and gives you the hurry up. One time the president of a successful company was asked what it took him to get to the very top and he replied the same thing that it took me to get started, a sense of urgency about getting things done. Hurry. Is there a right kind of hurry with biblical matters, biblical Christianity? Or is hurry merely a sometimes unwanted aspect of contemporary life? I've been thinking about that question quite a lot in the last few weeks as I've been preparing for this particular sermon on this particular verse. seems like many people today that this would say that this feeling of urgency or hurry is particularly connected to a post-industrial world or certainly an industrial world. It's a part of modern life, but it isn't something that we would expect to be a part of ancient spirituality, certainly not biblical spirituality. But is that actually Right. And as I've been thinking about this, I was helped by coming across a quotation from a Christian leader from the 18th century, that is, before the Industrial Revolution and before what we would think of as modern ways of living, who addressed other Christian leaders of the time saying this, brethren, we must hurry. Hurry. 
will we hurry? We're in the midst of this series in Luke's uh, gospel, and the question we come to this morning is, will you hurry? Let's just remind ourselves of the context. As we see each week, it's important to fit each of these verses in the context of the story of the gospel as a whole. And Luke's gospel is telling a story about how Jesus is the fulfillment to the Old Testament promises, and he wants us to have certainty about that so that we might be saved, and then when we come to faith in Jesus, take that same message to all nations. And this particular section of Luke's gospel is the second half where Luke structures the story of Jesus around a series of conversations and encounters on the way as Jesus travels towards Jerusalem and each of them have a particular theme. And the theme of this section is mission, hence our series on your mission should you choose to accept it. We've seen that there are a number of questions that these This teaching of Jesus in this section we're looking at asks us, will you follow, will you go, will you pray, will you be brave? And then this morning, will you hurry, which is what we're looking at today. And each of these, as we remind ourselves of the context, need to be put into a harmonious balance so that the radical call of Jesus, which is here, is heard within the context of the teaching of this chapter and the context of the gospel of Luke and, of course, the context overall of the Bible. Hence, we remind ourselves of where we are in the story. This morning, will you hurry? We can look at it under five points. First of all, do not be slowed down by unnecessary possessions. So Jesus begins with this word, this verb, carry, And thereby, and this is the case I'm going to be making for you, he's emphasizing the unnecessary, what you carry. Don't carry unnecessary possessions. We need to look at this call of Jesus, which is radical, in the broader teaching of the Bible to make sure that we interpret it accurately without in any way dulling the call that Jesus has here for us. One helpful way of doing that is by looking at how other Bible teachers down the years have interpreted this passage. One great Bible teacher called J.C. Ryle puts it like this. These remarkable words must doubtless be interpreted with some qualification. And then he refers to the end of Luke's gospel where Jesus tells his disciples to have a money bag. Or he also refers to the Apostle Paul and his tendency to greet. Clearly there's a right kind of greeting that the Bible teaches us. But then he carries on, even with, still after every deduction, this is J.C. Ryle, after every deduction and every qualification, there remains a, what he calls, deep lesson beneath these words of Jesus, which ought not to be overlooked. That is, when we take into account the specificity that is here, there is still a general application that we must listen to very carefully if we wish to follow Jesus. How can we do that? One way to do that is to think through other places in the Bible where this call to urgency 
to not be encumbered by unnecessary possessions and to hurry is heard. One place where that's heard is in the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, where Nehemiah, the leader of God's people, as they were building the walls of Jerusalem again, was encouraged by his enemies to stop the work, to come down and to talk to them. And he replied like this, Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 3, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. There's urgency. Hurry. What we notice about this, one commentator put it like this, is that strikingly, Jesus' teaching here in this verse is all in the negative. What not to carry and not to greet. He's talking about unnecessary possessions, first of all, and then, as we'll see in a moment, unnecessary greetings. Carry, that is, extra. Presumably, and we'll look at that in a moment, Jesus is not wanting them to walk barefoot when he tells them not to carry sandals. It's extra sandals. And in this there is a, uh, an important missiological strategy, an important way to go about witnessing to Jesus here. It's not a power move. Those who witness to Jesus are not seeking to be authoritarian. They're not a threat. They go out vulnerable. Scholars tell me that the radical Jewish sect at the time called the Essenes could expect to be cared for when they were traveling and they carried nothing with them. Jesus is similarly, in this particular context, that then needs a general application that we're seeking to make right for us today, needs to be heard. And again, it's helpful to think through how other people have attempted to interpret this. One other scholar uh, from, uh, uh, from um, yesterday, from some years back, put it like this. You cannot but admire the orders of begging, what he called the mendicant orders. That is monks who take up a vow of poverty. He said, this man, you cannot but admire the orders of, uh, of, of poverty. But, he carried on, experience has taught that a beggar's life can lead to beggar's vices and to beggar's problems. That must be balanced within the teaching of Scripture as a whole. He carried on. That said, this is why it also needs to be heard. That said, the mission work of the church ever prospered in proportion as this spirit pervaded in it. There is a radical call here that needs to be heard in balance. How do we apply it today? Well, in my view, Jesus, by this verb carry, is telling us to not be slowed down first by unnecessary possessions. What does that mean? Well, second, adopt a biblical view of money. Jesus says, carry no money bag. Now, we know that elsewhere in the Bible there are people who are wealthy, that are commended for their righteousness. Uh, Abraham, of course, was a wealthy man. And we know that uh, in the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus specifically tells them to have a money bag. So there's a specific context here, but it does have a general application. How can we make that general application? 
One of the most helpful ways to do that was given by the great Christian leader John Wesley, who put it like this, make as much as you can, save as much as you can, give as much as you can. And each of those aspects needs to be heard with their full power, particularly, of course, the last. Give as much as you can. The Lord has used what sometimes are called gospel patrons over and over again and still today to support the work of the gospel locally and globally. And the Lord uses that. One of, the, one of my uh, favorite stories and illustrations about that is from someone called the Countess of Huntingdon. She was a very wealthy woman, an aristocrat, and she used her money to support the work of the gospel of John Wesley and George Whitfield and the many other revivalists and evangelical gospel. By evangelical, I simply mean gospel, I'm not talking about cultural matters, gospel uh, preachers at the time. In those days, church planting was really impossible to do because the Church of England, in its wisdom, had decided that it was not allowed but there was a legal loophole, loophole that the Countess of Huntington employed. While you could not put up a church wherever you wanted in the United Kingdom at the time, if you were an aristocrat, which the Countess of Huntington obviously was, you could buy land or you could put a chapel on your land as an aristocrat. So what the Countess of Huntington did, she went up buying land all over the country and putting up chapels on it for George Whitfield and John Wesley. It was an application, a general application of this specific call to use our money wisely. She gave as much as she could. I'm sure she wasn't perfect in every way. Of course, she was a sinner like you and I. But it is an illustration of the sort of thing that is being called to us a generous lifestyle. That would be the biblical word for it, wouldn't it? Generosity. C.S. Lewis, in his various writings on this theme, put it like this. This would be my summary of how C.S. Lewis put it. If our giving does not mean we are denying ourselves some legitimate pleasure then we're probably not giving enough. Give as much as we can. Adopt a biblical view of money. And then adopt a biblical view of stuff. <laughs> so Jesus carries on saying, carry no knapsack, no bag. Again, there's a specific context, but it does have a general application to the way that we can get encumbered by stuff and not live a life of simplicity that enables a life of generosity. Sometimes less is more. When I think of this text, in my mind, I'm reminded of a moment in my own personal life many years ago when I was 18. I went to boarding school, and as an 18-year-old, I was at the top of the hierarchy of that boarding school. It began at 13, and you graduated at 18, so I was thereby at the top. And I felt I was a, a strong young man. And I remember on the first day of school, 
the uh, young boys, the 13-year-olds, would come to the school, and uh, you would come with a huge trunk of stuff that you were brought that you brought with you to the school. I remember one day when I was 18, a 13-year-old turned up with his mother, and he had not yet been through adolescence, so he was a 13-year-old and very, very thin. And they had this huge trunk. And as a young boy, the, the beginning, the lowest person on the hierarchy of that school system, he with his mother were desperately wrestling to try to get that huge trunk up to the top of this three or four floors building where the dormitory for the junior boys was right at the top. And they were struggling with that. And I came along and in my macho strength at the time, picked up the trunk and carried it up to the top. And I felt pretty good about myself. But when I think of this text, I'm reminded of that. And perhaps that's an illustration that can picture it. That stuff wrestling up the stairs, slowing you down. One other way to look at it is through the lens of someone called William Morris, who was the founder of the arts and crafts movement. He was an atheist, but he was influenced by Christian values in some ways, I expect. And he had strong views on clutter or too much stuff. He had a phrase which is famous in its own way, which can be helpful. It goes like this. Have nothing in your houses that you do not know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. Get rid of the stuff. We might add to that phrase, mightn't we? Have nothing in your houses that you do not know to be useful, beautiful, or for the gospel. Don't be slowed down by stuff. Adopt a biblical view of stuff. And that phrase, adopt, is deliberate. It takes time to nurture it, to grow in this way of looking at life. And then adopt a biblical view, even of clothes. What does Jesus mean by this? Carry no money bag, we've looked at that. Carry no knapsack, we've looked at that. Carry no sandals. Again, there's a specific context that we need to think through biblically what is the application for us today. People have wrestled with that down through the years. One of the reasons why is in Mark chapter 6, verse 9, Jesus tells those he's sending out to wear sandals. So why is he here saying, carry no sandals? There are two possibilities of that. One is the one that I tend to hold, which is Jesus here is not saying don't wear shoes. He's not telling his followers to go barefoot. He's saying don't carry extra. And the word in Mark 6 verse 9 is for wearing shoes, whereas here it's for carrying them. So that could be what it means. Or some would say, actually, the word here for sandals is a different word from the word in Mark chapter 6. The word in Mark chapter 6 is for more simple, basic kind of sandals, whereas the word here is a word that would be thought of as for more luxurious, fancier more expensive kind of shoes. Don't take those, Jesus is saying. In either case, the, the point is the same, isn't it? We might think of John the Baptist's teaching in Luke chapter 3, verse 10, where he tells those who are listening to his preaching, those who have two cloaks are to share with him who has none. 
a, di- a biblical view, adopt a biblical view even of our clothes. That's why we have, one of the reasons why here as a church we support resale stores because it's a way for us to not be encumbered with stuff and to reuse the things that we have for the benefit of others. I don't think the point here is against fashion or aesthetics. It's not against fashion and for merely functional clothes. I don't think Jesus is here saying you can't try to look nice within biblical boundaries. But what he's teaching here is that even our clothes are not to be a distraction from our purpose for the gospel. Even they are to have a gospel purpose. Even our clothes are to be on mission. We sang earlier the great hymn from the Overseas Missionary Fellowship, which of course was founded by Hudson Taylor, who famously utilized the way he dressed in China for the purpose of the gospel. Even what we wear has a message. That's why John the Baptist wore a certain kind of clothes so that he would look like a prophet, like Elijah. Again, I don't think it means that you can't wear something nice or you cannot have fun with your clothes. I think of Charles Simeon, the preacher who's influenced some people in our circles in profound ways. Charles Simeon, one time with a friend, took up a humorous, jokey kind of bet to see who could dress most outrageously that year. And Charles Simeon won the bet because he used what at the time was thought to be outrageous. He used an umbrella for a year. And if you go to Cambridge and you go to the church that Charles Simeon is a pastor of, you should ask to see Simeon's umbrella because it's still there. The point is that even our clothes have a message. They say what we really believe. They're often the first thing that people encounter. As a church, actually, on the platform some years ago, we, we thought through quite carefully the sort of things we should be wearing because it is what people see and what they think about. Well, fifth and finally then, do not be slowed down by relational niceties so Jesus says greet no one on the road again what is he saying here I don't believe that Jesus is intending his followers to be rude or brash certainly elsewhere greeting others is commended the apostle Paul has a lengthy series of greetings in Romans Chapter 16, greet this person, greet that person, greet the other person. And indeed, right after this verse, in verses 5 and 6, you'll see there's a kind of commend, uh, uh, greeting that is being commended by Jesus. Whenever you enter a house, say, peace be to this house, which is a form of greeting. So what is Jesus saying here? Clearly, it's emphasizing hurry, but in which way and how does that apply to us? Some people think that Jesus is addressing the well-known, happen, uh, well-known tendency of ancient Eastern greetings to be somewhat extraordinarily lengthy. One scholar says, Oriental, Oriental greetings or Eastern greetings were important, long, and time-consuming. 
Another scholar put it like this. They were very much extended and occupied considerable time. They were evaded in crowded streets and by persons in haste. Another scholar adds that he, if he was to record the whole of these greetings, it would occupy a dozen of the pages of his book. Twelve pages. A lot of greeting. So it could be that what Jesus is saying here. Don't be slowed down by this endless greeting habit. You've got a mission. You're, you must hurry. Or he could be just saying let's not waste time and miss witness opportunities through pointless socializing. Again, it's helpful to think of the wider biblical context. In 2 Kings chapter 4, Elisha tells his servant Gehazi to go on a mission to attempt to heal or save, we might put in that broader theological context, someone, and he tells him, greet no one on the road. Hurry. It matters, it's important. So while we must contextualize this with Paul's very long list of greetings in Romans Chapter 16, and the greeting here to those who accept his message, to, the, to the, the beginning of the house churches that accept the message of Jesus. When you enter the house, there's a new relational center, which is in the church. We also must hear that hanging out, socializing for no gospel purpose, for those who are on mission, is to be avoided. We also cannot look at this text, I think, without hearing Jesus' rebuke of the way that religious, the religious elite seem to particularly gravitate to this kind of pointless greeting habits. Mark 12, 38, he rebukes the Pharisees because they love the greetings in the marketplace because it makes them feel good and important. Not to be like that if you're a pastor or missionary or Christian leader. Not that you're to be rude. But you're not to be orientated around looking good by people bowing and scraping before you and making you look important. In short, what Jesus here, I think, in context of the Bible is encouraging is a biblical view of family, a biblical view of friendships, and a biblical view of relationships. And we all have to have a certain kind of relational management, don't we, with our lives. All, all of us have so many different people that we know. It's impossible to be equally intimate with all of them relationally. And Jesus' model, as we look at how he dealt with his own relationships, there were the three who were very close to him. Then there was the twelve that he was discipling. And then there were the crowds. All for gospel purpose. Will we hurry? What does that mean? Don't be slowed down by unnecessary possessions. What does that mean? Adopt a biblical view of money, of stuff, and even of clothes. Don't be slowed down by relational niceties either. What does that mean? Adopt a biblical view of family friendships and relationships. Now listen, my friends, of course there can be a wrong kind of hurry. While serving as a West Virginia state trooper, Patricia Greenlee's son pulled over a woman for going 15 miles per hour over the speed limit. And after he wrote her a ticket, she asked him, don't you give out warnings? 
To which she replied, yes, ma'am. They're all up and down the road. They say speed limit 55. There's a wrong kind of hurry. But for those of us on mission, hurry is required. In the series, we're doing your mission should you choose to accept it. As we've seen before, we're playing off the well-known contemporary Mission Impossible series with Tom Cruise as the most famous participant in that series. And we've seen along the way, haven't we, occasional illustrations how Tom Cruise is famous for performing his own stunts. In the 2018 Mission Impossible movie, Cruise was filmed during a halo, that is a high-altitude, low-opening parachute jump. He did it from the back of a C-17 military transport. And in fact, the oxygen mask that he used was especially modified so the viewers could see through it and see it was really Tom Cruise doing it. They also had a specially trained camera operator who jumped with him so that they could get close-up shots as they fell at speeds up to 220 miles per hour. And to make sure they got the scene just right, Cruise jumped 106 times. Amazing. I can't get my mind around doing that. But I tell you one thing I do know for sure. In none of those 106 times was he carrying an extra bag. It also, of course, applies that we're not yet a follower of Jesus. You should be encouraged to hear that those who are followers of Jesus are urging themselves to hurry to tell you. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you especially need hurry. There's a gift to be opened. It's far more important than a Valentine's Day gift. There was a fashion some years ago for a neo-atheism, and it was viewed as antagonistic against biblical Christianity. It's been interesting to me to watch the shift and the agenda that way around and how so many people are beginning to realize these days that there must be some sense at least of the transcendent. In that regard, I was fascinated to discover that Richard Dawkins, famous neo-atheist, recently tweeted about a conference he's holding alongside a former Muslim once atheist, now Christian. And Richard Dawkins in his tweet said this, maybe there's still something for me to learn when it comes to religion. Certainly there is, Dawkins. But not about religion, about Jesus. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, well, it's urgent. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there's urgency too. Will we hurry? Let's pray together. Our Father God, we thank you for this challenge. All of us need wisdom to know how to manage 
our time, our relationships, our stuff. Help us, Lord, increasingly to adopt a biblical view of money and relationships and the things. To have a kind of simplicity and a generosity. And all of that with urgency. We know, Lord, that the opportunity to tell people about Jesus will not last forever. And we know, Lord, that the opportunity to come to Jesus will not last forever. We thank you, Lord, that you are kind enough to urge us to hurry. We pray, Lord, that you will grant us the wisdom to do so in a way that fits with a biblical, harmonious, beautiful balance, but also to do so with, yes, urgency. that you might be praised in all things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.